Father, even now we ask that you would come among us by your spirit, even as we are dispersed throughout this community and perhaps for some around the nation who are watching. But you are with us and you are among us. So Lord, we ask that you would speak to us by your spirit. Unite us more fully to you, your heart, your mind, your purposes. And unite us to one another for your glory. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again, everyone, and welcome once again to our live stream of Worshiping Apart Together. We're going to focus this morning on our gospel reading from St. John's Gospel, chapter 11. So I would encourage you or invite you at this time uh, either to follow along with the scriptures as they appear on the screen, or you can open your Bibles to John, chapter 11, or turn on your devices to John, chapter 11. Holy Week is almost upon us, which is hard to believe, and Easter is just two Sundays from today. And these are times set aside to especially remember Christ's suffering and his death for us. And following that, following the events of Holy Week, to celebrate his resurrection, which is God's validation of Jesus' sinless life and death, and his ultimate and eternal vindication of Christ as the risen Lord of life. But the reality is that the God the Son, for the God the Son, resurrection life are, is an inseparable part of who Jesus is. Our gospel reading today recounts an event that took place shortly before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and his passion. And this is a passage that speaks powerfully of the reality of Jesus, who is, please hear this, who is in his very being, the source of resurrection and the source of life. So in our time together, what I would like to do this morning really is twofold. I would like us to understand what it means for Jesus to say that he is the resurrection and the life, and then to understand how this truth should transform our lives as we apply it in a practical re- as a practical reality for daily living, especially in times such as this. So let's start with a little bit of background. Again, the events of today's gospel reading take place just a short time before Jesus entered Jerusalem. At this time in Jesus' ministry, the pace of events was accelerating at warp speed. Large numbers of people were coming to believe in him. He was receiving greater attention and notoriety. And he was experiencing intensified hostility from the Jewish leaders. The bottom line was at this point, the Jewish leaders were out to get him. They wanted to do him in. The miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead heightened this hostility among the Jewish leaders. Jesus had been preparing his disciples for the climax of his earthly ministry and what was to come for some time. But the disciples still did not fully grasp what was going to happen. In the midst of all of this, Jesus receives word that his friend Lazarus is sick. And then two days later in John chapter 11, verse 14, we read that Lazarus is dead. Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, were followers of Jesus. Because of his close proximity to Jerusalem, their home in Bethany was probably a dangerous place for Jesus to visit at the time. But he went anyway. He went because he loved them. He went for God's glory. 
and he went to demonstrate to everyone who was willing to see that he was indeed, is indeed the Lord of life. We find Jesus approaching Bethany and Martha runs out to meet him. We also read that Mary stayed at home. Mary didn't stay at home because of a lack of faith or trust in Jesus on her part. She stayed home because she was in mourning and she was very attentive, much more than Martha, to the Jewish custom of mourning that that said that she would sit on the floor of her home and receive friends for six days of intense grief following the burial of her brother. This type of mourning and bereavement was considered a duty for faithful Jews. So then that poses the question for us, why did Martha go out to meet Jesus? It might have been perhaps that it was not safe for Jesus to come to their home so close to Jerusalem and she was fearful for his safety. But there is also the reality that in Martha coming out to meet Jesus, she was demonstrating her personality, her wiring, if you will, her temperament. In contrast to Mary's, who was much, Mary who was much more concerned about what was proper and what was right. So perhaps Martha coming out to meet Jesus was a factor of her temperament and personality more than anything else. When Jesus had been at their home, as we read about before in Luke 10, Martha was the one who had to stay on the go. She was the one who had to stay busy. In contrast, Mary was content to sit at Jesus' feet. I think we all know people and perhaps even our own personalities can identify with one of these two ladies in some measure. Those who are concerned about propriety and doing what seems right socially and those of us who may be a little bit more impetuous. I think of a friend of mine a number of years ago as we were working together on a plumbing job that I needed his help on and needed an extra set of hands and we were assembling a fairly fairly complicated high-end shower door and I was very intent on going through the directions because I knew you can't screw up on getting one of these things installed and how you drill things. And I turned around and he had two thirds of the door already assembled and it was out of order. So we had to go back and reassemble or disassemble everything so that we could reassemble it in the proper order. And I think my friend is very much more akin to Martha where I'm wired a lot more like Mary. I think many of you can relate to that. Let's talk about Martha and Jesus a little bit. Martha was a follower of Jesus. She was a believer. But we see from verses 21 through 24 in John chapter 11 that her understanding was still limited. And that was understandable at the time. It was not complete. Martha clearly believed in the power of Jesus to heal the sick. And she expressed regret that he had not been present when her brother was sick. She said, Lord, if you had been here... My brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus told Martha that her brother would rise again, she affirmed her belief in the future resurrection from the dead, but she wasn't fully grasping at that moment what Jesus was saying. She didn't yet understand the whole truth about Jesus. So what was this whole truth which Jesus so clearly and powerfully declared to Martha? We'll look at verses 25 and 26 of John 11 together with me. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We see two things here. 
I am the resurrection and the life. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right after making this statement, he was demonstrating his power to resurrect and to bestow life. But this is more than something Jesus simply did for a dead man. In stating this truth, Jesus is not merely saying that this is something he has the power to do. Rather, what Jesus is saying is, I am these things. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Resurrection and life are not just something I do. They are something that flow from me. They flow from my very innermost being. They are part of who Jesus is. He says to know me, to walk with me, to fully trust me is to know and experience resurrection and to experience life. To know me, to know Jesus is not to simply experience these things at some point in the future, but to know and experience them as living realities right here, right now as the people of God. The second thing Jesus teaches us here is that those who believe in him will live and not die. The second half of verse 25 and verse 26, once again, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes, who who lives and believes in me shall never die. Whoever believes in me. What does that mean to To believe in Jesus. Certainly it requires knowledge of the truth from the Bible regarding Jesus. But it is much more than just just head knowledge or mental assent to a list of doctrines. To believe requires faith. Sure trust and certain hope in the truths that we have come to understand. But again, this is not about embracing simply ideas and concepts because resurrection and life are found in a person. The person of Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God. And to lay hold of these truths is to accept Jesus as savior, the only source of resurrection and of life. To fully surrender our lives to his control, allowing him by his gracious work in us to radically transform us, to make us new creations in him. As St. Paul writes in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. To know the resurrection and life of Jesus is not a one-time thing we only experience at that moment when we first come to faith in Christ. The resurrection power and life of Jesus is ours continually. It is God's power to live a life of freedom. God's power to live a life of freedom to serve Christ. It's God's power to live a life of freedom from apart from the grip of sin, freedom from the fear of death's power. I experienced that in a profound and personal way in recent weeks back on March 4th when my father went to be with the Lord. 
And for me personally in that time, standing at the bedside together with my mom and Tammy and Eliana, with my hand on my dad's forehead, a moment of God's grace that I could have my hand on my dad's head and be praying for him as he was translated from this life into the presence of the Lord. I must tell you that this reality of resurrection life was instilled in me more deeply and more profoundly than I've ever experienced it before. Knowing in the midst of our sadness for our loss, and yes, through tears, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's freedom from the fear of death's power. It's freedom that we find in Christ to live and walk as the children of God. When Jesus said that he is the life, he was not merely speaking of physical life, although he is Lord of that too. He was speaking specifically of spiritual life, eternal, unending life. That people like my dad who have placed their faith in Christ are experiencing even in fuller measure even now. That's why Jesus could say, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who, believe, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Because we don't experience any cessation of that spiritual life that is ours through Christ Jesus. That's why in John chapter 1 verse 4 we read, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And why in John chapter 10 verse 10 Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Probably the thing that people fear most is this prospect of our own physical death. But brothers and sisters, God's word assures us that Christ Jesus has conquered death. Through him, the one who is the resurrection and the life, death loses its hold and its power over every one of us who trust and know him. During these uncertain times, temporally as believers, we are to be filled. God's intent is for us in ever greater measure to be filled with the life of Jesus, supernatural, eternal life. And God calls us in times such as these we are living in to demonstrate and live out the reality of Christ's life in us. That means that our highest purpose must remain that of seeking his glory. And I think for that, for us, that may be a little bit of a paradigm shift when we live through uncharted times, when times that, are, that seem very foreign and strange to us. But our purpose must be that God's glory, Christ's glory, is demonstrated in our lives. I like what Herschel York, pastor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, wrote about this passage where he says this, if my goal in life is to seek his glory rather than just my own comfort, if my goal in life is to seek his will rather than simply to avoid suffering, if I realize that every prayer has beneath it the subtext of, Lord, glorify yourself, that's going to change me. What will that do to conquer my self-centered, selfish, sinful disposition? What will that do to make me love him more and to love this world less. Yes, these are temporally uncertain times in which we live. It's a time when people all around us are looking for hope. They're looking for true security. 
They're looking for hope for quarantines and social distancing to end, for things to return to whatever seems to be normal for them and for us. The hope that those dear to us and them will be safe and healthy. The hope that our nation and our world will recover quickly from the financial crisis we are facing. Hope that effective treatments and medications will be developed quickly to battle the COVID-19 virus. And these are very real hopes founded on genuine and real concerns. But ultimately, all our hopes and ultimately the surrender of all our fears must focus on where we place our trust, brothers and sisters. And we need to go back to the answer which Jesus gave to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. And like Martha, every single one of us must answer Jesus' question to her and to us. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And if we do, and as we live more fully into the reality of the fact that Jesus is our resurrection and Jesus is our life and it's something that flows from him that is not dictated by the temporal things, the things of this world going on around us, it should fill us with hope and trust. And even as Herschel York talked about, it should realign by God's grace and the work of his spirit in our lives, our priorities, so that our goal in life in ever greater measure and in new ways, in ways that have been, would have been unexpected even a month ago, our lives are realigned and more fully aligned to seek his own glory rather than simply our comfort or to avoid suffering or hardship so that we could say, Lord, glorify yourself, knowing that as we pray that prayer with all of our hearts, we'll need to pray it time and time again that he will change us and the Lord Jesus Christ will transform us and he will equip us and empower us through his resurrection life to walk through these seasons with firm assurance and trust and hope. And he will equip us to set aside by his power to conquer any self-centered, sinful disposition that we worry about perhaps temporal things lost so that we trust him in this day for the glory of his name in ever greater measure so that we love him more and we love the things of this world less. And as we let go and hold less tightly to the things of this world, we will find brothers and sisters, even in this time that we are holding to and that Jesus himself is holding us firmly more and more and filling us with trust and hope and faith and assurance in him through his resurrection life. Let us pray. Father, even now, fill us with the resurrection and life-giving power of Jesus in greater measure. Lord, as you fill us, displace those things of this world that would fill us with fear, things that would fill us with a sense of hope that is tethered to the things of this world, where we cling somehow to things of this world and desires and goals and aspirations that perhaps even in this season either permanently or temp temporarily need to be set aside. Lord, those things that would, we would seem to cling to, may we lay them aside by your grace 
and fully cling to Jesus, finding that as we do that, he holds us in his loving arms and he upholds us and strengthens us so that we can live as the people of God in such a time as this for the glory of your holy name. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.